inspired by John Watson last Sunday. Um, if you were here, uh, John spoke about the life and the journey through life of uh, Abraham. And um, it caused me to sort of reflect a bit about my own life and also the value of the testimony that God gives us as we journey uh, from one day to the next. And uh, really, I wanted to just share some things around that with you this morning. Um, first of all, might I read some verses from Psalm 90. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to pick out a few of the verses. It says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you have formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. The years of our life are 70, and even by, by means, reason of strength, they could be 80. It is but toil and trouble, and they are soon gone, and we fly away. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favour of the Lord, our God, be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yet, yes, establish the work of our hands. Um, according to this, uh, you've got... Oops, turned it off. You've got 70 years, uh, and I guess um, <clears throat> that's uh, not a long time. Uh, for me, it means I've got six months left. <laughs> um, so uh, <clears throat> I'm quite, quite grateful for modern medicine and uh, the national health and the care that we get in this country because uh, on average, according to statistics, I've actually got a little bit more than that. So um, hopefully. Anyway, what it actually means is that um, I've had um, 50 years about of knowing Christ and uh, I've been on a journey with him for 50 odd years. Uh, I might even say it was nearly 60 years because it, it began uh, a bit earlier than that. Um, <clears throat> the one thing I wanted to uh, do when I look back, what John said last week caused me to just look back in my, my life and and initially I felt, well, I'm just an ordinary bloke, right? You know, I've done ordinary things and not a lot stands out as being extraordinary until I stopped and thought about it and realised how wrong that was, okay? And um, <clears throat> the one thing that I then went on to think about was I'm just one of a large number of people that come into this church, and if you take the extraordinary things that I've experienced and understood over those 50 or 60 years, and you multiply it by the number of people here, right, just imagine the value of the testimony of God's grace and favour that we have collectively together. And that was the thing that impressed me. Um, <clears throat> and so I wanted to just share a little bit about my testimony um, just to underline the fact that grace, God has been good to me and he has kept me. Now, there have been a few incidents in my life that, that have been really challenging. Right? 
and uh, I don't really want to tell you about those <laughs> um, because as far as I'm concerned, they're done and they're finished. And uh, it's not going to be helpful to anyone to understand what they were. Um, but yet, it's good to know that as it was in this psalm, um, not all that I've experienced has been good. Okay? Uh, it's had its ups and downs. <clears throat> the other thing I wanted to do was to perhaps set an example this morning um, about giving testimony. Right? I'm not somebody who talks about myself very easily. Okay? It's something I find very difficult. Right? Because I'd rather talk about you than talk about me. <laughs> I'd rather hear about what you've done than recall all the things that I've done. But part of the challenge that I got last week was to come up and say a little bit about me. <laughs> and I hope that it might even bless you. Um, my first thoughts about uh, God uh, occurred when I was about 10 years old. Okay. Um, my mum and dad, who um, I have come to understood since those days, were backslidden Christians. Um, and I, I think to appease their conscience, they sent me and my brother to Sunday school. <laughs> um, what they didn't know was, many times we didn't actually go. <laughs> um, we took the thropney bit that they gave us to put in the collection and went and spent it up the park. But there you go. But anyway, I had a, a, my oldest cousin, uh, for some reason, decided to adopt me and take me to church when I was about 10 years old. She even, and you might find this surprising if you've stood next to me in the worship time, tried to enrol me in the choir. Um, but there you go. And then something really also that you might find strange. I came across in my house a copy of the Book of Common Prayer and hymns Ancient and Modern. Right? Now this may seem strange because <clears throat> I can remember times when I used to take those two books and a torch, and lay in bed under my bed covers reading them. <laughs> um, but there was something about the words in these things. I don't know what it was. Um, but they laid a foundation in my understanding of who God was by just reading through them uh, while I was that sort of 10, 11, 12 years old. <clears throat> and then I went away from the things of God I decided I wasn't going to go to Sunday school. I wasn't going to do that. I wasn't going to get involved in any choirs or anything like that. Um, <clears throat> and that was mainly my attitude throughout uh, secondary school. Um, my, my time at school was an interesting one too. I scraped into uh, a grammar school. They had grammar schools in those days and we were streamed into uh, people who were good academically and those who just had to go to school until they were old enough to leave. And I was one of the ones who got into grammar school by the skin of my teeth. Um, and my best subjects while I was at school were maths, rugby, running, and cricket. That's it. Everything else was no good. Um, in fact, the headmaster once said to me, uh, he said, Robinson, it's a good job you're in the school rugby team. Otherwise, we would have got rid of you years ago. <laughs> Otherwise, uh, that was in the time before they had performance statistics, but there you go. Anyway, rugby became an important part of my life. And um, 
at the same time, I met uh, my wife, who um, would never, ever come out with me on a Sunday, which I thought was a rather strange, that there was something else that she'd rather do on a Sunday than come out with me. Saturdays were different, Fridays were different, but Sundays weren't. And I discovered, of course, that that's because um, she was a Christian and she went to church on Sundays. So guess what happened? I started going to church on Sundays. And uh, there was one occasion where um, a speaker was speaking to the young people within this congregation, and it was as though God was speaking to me. And that was the first call, real call, uh, for me to uh, claim the salvation that God had prepared for me. <clears throat> and uh, from that point onwards, and that was when I was about 20, um, so therefore it's 50 years ago, almost, um, <clears throat> that I gave my life to Christ and uh, went on from there. <clears throat> um, and then lots of things happened after that. Um, there was a time when I, uh, I was saying to God that I wanted to know more about him and I wanted to get into deeper things than him, but somehow I just never seemed to have time. Uh, my, my life was full of doing lots of things. My career was beginning. Um, we were having a... We had uh, children by then, and life was full, and there wasn't a lot of room, uh, to, if I was honest, for God. <clears throat> and uh, it, it became my excuse, it became my reason for not ever doing anything more than just going to church on a Sunday. And uh, then I was playing rugby one day, and I had this glorious opportunity against a team that was really important that we beat uh, to score the winning try, Okay. I went screaming down the field, and just as I was getting to the try line, I saw this guy coming towards me from the side, and I thought, well, I better turn and go that way. As I turned, I caught my foot in a hole in the ground, and I stopped, and as I stopped, he came and he hit me, right? and he, my leg, this leg, folded up underneath me, and it broke, broke my knee into pieces. <clears throat> and I went into hospital, and they repaired it all, and they said, well, you're going to have it in plaster for eight weeks. And as he said, you're going to have it in plaster for eight weeks, it was as though God was saying to me, you said you wanted time. <laughs> <laughs> and and here's, here's the time. And, and those, those eight weeks uh, transformed out my life, our life. And um, it gave me opportunity to, to spend time and understand uh, what God wanted for me. Okay? Um, go through what happened in the intervening years between then and now. Um, most, most of what I did was uh, my career. I worked for a computer company. Um, this may not mean a lot to you, but I was in the very beginnings. I was involved in the very beginnings of what is now known as distributed computing. Right? Um, I, I installed the first cash dispensers in this country. Uh, and looked after them. Uh, later on, I was involved uh, with the establishment of uh, a subsea fiber optic cable network that circumvented the whole world, and it was the first time that had ever been done. And uh, got involved in selling services on that. <clears throat> I was able to travel the world. I've been to every continent in this world. Um, some more than others, been to most European countries because of what I worked. I even lived in Detroit uh, for a couple of years. And uh, 
rose to a fairly senior position in the company or the companies that I was involved in and ended up not being involved in all the technical stuff but being involved in dealing with people and that was the bit that really did uh, wonders for me in terms of understanding people, understanding how they work, understanding how they vary from one type of person to the other. And uh, it had its good times, and the good times was uh, taking a team of about 20 people when I first began at the last company I was at and grew it to about 200. And then shortly after that, the internet bubble burst and I had to take that team of 200 down to four. And um, fortunately, before I left again, just before I left and retired, it went back up to 2200 again. Been involved in other things of, uh, in the mission over the years. Um, spent a lot of time getting involved with the work that was going on in Mozambique, supporting that. Um, actually visited Mozambique during the civil war that they had, which was a very interesting time living in a place that's got trenches all the way around it, armed guards walking around it at night, seeing bullet holes actually in the walls of the building that I was staying in. Uh, that was quite interesting. We went to China and uh, smuggled Bibles into China, um, being told that we could only carry five kilograms of our own stuff so that we could carry 50 kilograms of uh, Bibles between us. Um, Got involved with the Ferrier, which was a big estate just over there uh, for years. Um, we ran marriage courses, uh, Esme and I, and, and with Jim and Margaret in this church. And then latterly being involved with the food bank. It's been exciting and been quite a full life. <clears throat> um, but there's been a few highlights and, and lowlights in some of that. Um, many of you would know that I was actually in New York on 9-11. Uh, staying in the Marriott Hotel, uh, which was the bottom half of one of the, those towers, uh, and left it five or ten minutes before the first plane came in and destroyed it, and then sat on a, a, a panoramic window five minutes walk away, um, watching the whole thing unfold. Um, on the first time I went to Mozambique, uh, I was on a plane with Terry Watson, um, and uh, it caught fire. <laughs> we looked out the window, it was night time, we looked out the window, and the, the one side of the plane was all aglow, big orange glow, and we noticed that one of the engines was just in flames. So that was an interesting time. That tested your faith um, in God, and uh, suddenly you realise that there are 500 people sitting around you, all praying. <laughs> um, uh, but it's, it's, I think it's important uh, to know that, uh, that when you go through these things, that you have a faith. And 9-11, um, this plane being on fire, uh, I was on another flight, uh, which was on a 10-seater plane flying around the Caribbean, and suddenly the pilot got up uh, and got out of his seat, tied up the joystick with a bit of string, um, and walked to the back of the plane um, because he wanted to get a cigarette. Uh, <laughs> you know, and we're all sitting there going, ah. <laughs> nobody's flying it. <laughs> but he, he, <coughs> he thought it was quite normal. Um, but the, things, the thing is that 
what I've understood throughout all of this time is that God is faithful and God is good to me. Um, and I was reminded of uh, the verses in a hymn that we sing lots of, lots of times, Amazing Grace. Because if I was to summarise my life, if I was to summarise all that I've done um, and say well, what has God done in that, what he's done is actually revealed his amazing grace to me. In the difficult times, and some of you may know what they are, um, the one thing that kept us through all of that was his amazing grace. <clears throat> and um, when I sing the verses, there are, there are some verses of amazing grace that not many people sing, right? Because they're the good ones. <laughs> and they... <coughs> Excuse me. Excuse me. Um, there's a verse that says, Through many dangers, toils and snares, I have already come. And his grace hath brought me safe thus far. And grace will lead me home. Hopefully longer, if the journey home is longer than six months. <laughs> um, the Lord has promised good to me. His word, my hope, secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. Yes, when this flesh and heart shall fail, a mortal life shall cease. I shall possess within the veil a life of joy and peace. And I thank God that he's revealed that to me. And that's become, in a word, you know, a summary for how uh, he's uh, spoken to me and, and, and looked after me and cared for me over what is now at least 50 years, if not a bit longer than that. So I thank him and praise him. Oh, and the, piece, the reason I said this, did this, was because I felt that all of us need to understand uh, what God has done for us. And we need to share it with one another. Um, because the one thing that has occurred to me, and I've seen recently, is that when people talk about the things that God has done, it encourages and it impresses people. And it also gives you, when you realise what God has done, the ability to empathise with those people that you meet and you talk about. Right? Now, if you've had a really difficult uh, problem in one particular area and you meet somebody who's got that problem, the best person to talk to them about it and say, God can do it, and listen to what they say and understand is those who have been through it. <clears throat> and so uh, that, that's been quite important. And just I want to say, I went to a, um, a launch of a charity on Friday night um, uh, that deals with uh, abuse, uh, domestic abuse uh, in women and supporting them and encouraging them. And Robin Riggins was there. I don't know if everybody remembers Robin. She came here uh, a while back and she was the guest speaker at this event. And it was her testimony that encouraged everybody that was there to get on board with what was going on in this other thing. <clears throat> and uh, it was, the event was being held in um, at the school down the road here, Harris Academy. <clears throat> and in the hall where it was, there was a big list of names up there about students who had excelled at various subjects. And I thought, is Emily here? Don't know if Emily's name. But I looked to see if Emily's name was on this list. Right? But it, it, 
it was only year 12 and 13 students. <laughs> <coughs> but I looked down these names to see who was on it. And, uh, and Nathan's name was on it. Right? Did you know that Nathan is, was the, I don't know whether it was last year or the year before, but he was the best science student in that school that year. So not many people know that. <laughs> um, but I now know it. And now I'm encouraged because I know it. And, uh, and it's, I could see Nathan this morning and encourage him because I could say to him, wow, who are you? Anyway, that's how it all works. <laughs> it's fantastic, isn't it? I was just listening to his story and uh, I was thinking that there's a book sitting on every seat. Is it a thriller? Is it a comedy? Or is it as one lady uh, gave me a book once as a birthday present, Ruth, Ruth Brereton, her name was, and it was on the front was things that men know about women. And I opened it and every page was blank. <laughs> Isn't that a shame? <laughs> anyway, Timo, should we? Let's ask Timo to come up. Father, I just want to thank you for Timo, Lord. Thank you for his music, Lord. And now, Lord, I pray that you would bless him and bless us through his testimony, through what he has got to say to us now. Commit him to you now, Lord. Cause him to know the love of the church, the love of the family, Lord, as he brings this word to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Cool. Uh, wow, I'm nervous. <laughs> but it's okay. Um, just a second. Okay, so um, I want to talk today about um, prayer and about um, praying to God and receiving an answer from Him because He does answer. And so I want to refer to the story in the Bible in 1 Samuel about Hannah, a very special woman who. Um, who pray to God and seek God. But I, would, I just want to encourage you um, to seek God and, and pray to him because he will answer to your prayer. So um, if we go to 1 Samuel, if you have your Bibles with you or on your phone or any device, 1 Samuel chapter 1, and we're going to read 1 to 8. <clears throat> there was a man named Elkanah who lived in Ramah in the region of Zuf in the hill country of Ephraim. He was the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, of Ephraim. Oh. Sorry, I just shut down my tablet by mistake. <laughs> uh, where am I? He was the son of, okay. Uh, Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah did not. Uh, each year, Elkanah would travel to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of Heaven's armies at the tabernacle. The priests of the Lord at the time were the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. On the days of Elkanah presented his sacrifice, he would give portions of his meat to Penina and each of, his, of her children. 
And though he loved Hannah, he would give her only one choice portion because the Lord had given her no children. So Penina would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. Year after year, it was the same. Penina would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle. Each time, Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not even eat. Why are you crying, Hannah? Elkanah would ask. Why aren't you eating? Why be downhearted just because you have no children? You have me. Isn't that better than having 10 sons? If I speak too fast, just raise your hand and I'll probably speak faster. Um, so we have this story about this man, and um, we have three characters. We have the, the man uh, who was married to two wives. I recently just got engaged, and, uh, and I'm very happy, but very, it's, a, it's a feeling you never have before, so it's, it's very new to me. But it's, it's interesting to see that now when I make a decision and when I make life decisions, life choices, I can't think just for me and just for my own. I have to think twice, I have to think for her as well and, and what she likes and what, what decision we take together, right? So it's, it's quite hard, it's not as easy as you would on your own. It's easier when you're on your own, you just do what you please, what you like, you, you know exactly what you want, you go to the restaurant, you know exactly what you want. Uh, but when there's two of you, it's, it's harder. So I can't imagine for this family with two wives and, and, and loads of children like making decisions, it probably was really hard. Um, and the other two is uh, Penina, which was his wife, and Hannah, which is the other wife. And um, sometimes we associate ourselves with this man, and we, we are in between two worlds. And one of them is Hannah, who is a spiritual, uh, loves God, and is after God, but you feel like something's not right, something's missing, something's not in its place. And the other world, you have Penina, who is uh, full of work and has got uh, children to carry, and uh, she's not necessarily you, she's not necessarily loved, but um, there's you still need to take care of her because she's there. And um, sometimes we associate ourselves more with Penina, where we have loads of stuff, loads of work, loads of tasks, jobs, and stuff. So we can associate this with life, where you have your job, your career, your education, and you go through life, you carry on because you have to because it's life, and you carry on through it and. You, you feel like something's not right. Something is missing, something's not in its place, and you don't feel fulfilled, you don't feel loved, because there's always someone there who loves Hannah more. And so this life we, we live is filled, it might be filled with things like cars, we have mortgage, we have houses, we have anything we want, everything's good, but we still don't feel loved. We still feel like something's missing, something's not right. Um, but I want to focus more on Hannah. Um, and this woman, this special woman, had, had the problem. She had a specific problem. And although the same as Penina, she was more than that. She was loved by her husband. She was, she was very loved by her husband. She was being taken care of. Um, and she had everything she needed. She was healthy. She had food, clothes, everything she wanted. But she was still missing something. She didn't feel right. She was still missing something. When life is good and everything goes well, it feels as if there's always one thing not in its place. In the, midst of, in the midst of joy, God allows things in our lives to keep us close and dependable of him. In the midst of joy, God allows things in our lives to keep us close and dependable of him. Um, I haven't lived as much as Alan, but I have lived, I think I've lived enough in my 25 years to kind of see poor people, to see rich people, see people who have everything, people who have nothing, people who have experienced loads of things in this life, people who haven't experienced, and people who have enjoyed a lot of these things 
and good things about life. Um, but in the midst of that, in the middle of that, they still feel like there's an issue. There's still an issue there, and they're not able to enjoy as much because there's still something there. Um, and even, even Benina, or maybe, maybe even us, we think that Hannah was probably punished by God. Maybe that's what she deserves. She's done something in her life. Maybe that's how, how it is. Um, but 2 Chronicles 69 says, The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. This woman, Hannah, was honest and pure before God. She was seeking God with all her heart and was going to the temple every day. And still had this issue, still had this burden, still had this problem. Was it painful for her? I think it was. Was it shameful? It probably was. In those times, especially, not being, being able to have children it must have been really hard not to be able to carry a name, not to be able to enjoy the company of her children, to see them grow. It probably was, it brought shame upon her. And so, each one of us here on different levels, we go through tough times, right? I think we can all agree that we all go through tough times and it's painful, and sometimes it's shameful, and it's really hard to go through them. Um, but I want to tell you today that God knows you, and he sees you, and he knows your problem. Yeah. So he knows you. But we go through these hard, hard things, and we, have, we always have one issue, or maybe more than one, that we can't fix. We can't fix ourselves. There's no way we can do that. Um, but my question to you is, what are you doing with that issue? What are you doing with that problem you can't fix, with the situation you find yourself in? What do you do with it? So many times you expect God to move in a miraculous way, and God does. But many times we ask God to do things we should do. We ask God to do things we should do. Firstly, when we get closer to God, we need to have a vertical relationship with him, to know who he is. You don't go to anyone if you don't know he can't help you. You don't come to me to sell your house or give you medical advice, because I have no clue. And I'm not going to be able to, but if you know this, you're not going to come to me. And the same way, you don't go to God if you don't know who he is. And if you don't know, he can't help you. It's very important to know who your God is so that, and have a vertical issue with him so that you truly and really know him personally. We need to dare ourselves to pray and to say, God, I know who this God is. I know what he can do, and I know what he's going to do for me. And I'm going to go to him and pray. So first, a vertical relationship with him to know who he is, and then an internal relationship. Who does God say I am? Who does God say you are? If you don't know, who God, if you don't know what God says about you, you will always have a bad image about yourself. You always feel inferior to others. You always consider yourself inferior. You'll feel um, worthless, uh, uh, wretched, and, and all these things. You always point fingers at others and say, I can't be like him, I can't be like him, I can't do this and this and this. But even, even if you see yourself big or small, God still hears your prayer. doesn't matter how you see yourself, God sees you in a different eyes. And sometimes we pray about big things like uh, uh, a country or, or maybe a, a group of people, or poor people in, in a country or persecuted people in another country, and we pray for these things and we think, Ah, oh, this is probably insignificant, and it's not, you know, it doesn't really help much. But actually, uh, God does hear those prayers. And he doesn't look at the face of man, but picks each one of us apart. And he, has, he, he puts value in front of, in, in, in us, in front of him. And we all have value in front of him. And it's so important to know why, the, why, because he has a plan for you. 
He has something for you on this earth to do. And you don't have to do someone else's job. You don't have to do my job. You don't have to do Daniel's uh, job. You don't have to do John's job or anyone else's job. You have to do the, the will that the Father has given you on this earth. So we then go to God and say, okay, Lord, I know who you are. I know you've created me. You've given me a number of days. And whether I like it or not, I'm still going to live those days and fully. But tell me now, who, who am I and what am I supposed to do here on this earth? Why am I here? So the first one is vertical relationship. Know who he is. Second, internal uh, what does God say about me? And the third one is horizontal. What I need to do. Tell me God, show me God what I need to do. And um, it's very important to, to know what you, want, what you do with your issue. You can take it and bury it and uh, think it's fate and say, okay, well, I can't do anything about it. I can't change it. Um, God's, left, God's left me how it is and God's left me like this and I'm going to have to live it for the rest of my life um, and just carry on with this. Um, or, you can, or you can take the problem and talk it to anyone. You can talk it to your family. You can, you can take it to people. Um, or you can uh, try to understand it. See, why do I get this? Why do I deserve this? Is it because I've done something in my life? Are you trying to solve it on your own with your own uh, material things, from the point of view of material things? Are you trying to, to fix it? Are you going to get used to it? Are you going to try and accept the situation you're in? You're going to try and see, okay, this is this is how I am. This is how it's going to be for the rest of my life. I'm going to accept this. Or are you willing to do anything that is needed to solve your problem, your need, or the situation you find yourself in? Are you willing to, to do anything that's needed? What did Hannah do with her issue? And this is where I want to get at. And I think I want to read uh, the next uh, four verses from Samuel 9 to 11. And it's, it's so interesting because when I have an issue, when something comes in my life and there's a problem, I don't instantly think about God and I don't instantly think to go to God. I always think, okay, I need to ask this person. Maybe this person can help me. Maybe I can ask all these people and it will give me billions of different answers and I have no clue and I'm even worse than what I started with. And it's, it's so hard um, to, kind of, to kind of go to God the first thing. And I love what Hannah did. And if we read um, 1 Samuel 9-11, chapter 1, 9-11. It says, once after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. Eli the priest was sitting at, the, at, the, at his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. She made this vow, O Lord of heaven's armies, if you look upon my sorrow and answer, answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime. And as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair, his hair will never be cut. Hannah knew one way or another and understood that God was the only one who can fix a problem. She didn't go to anyone else. And in verse 7, a couple of verses behind, in verse 7 says... She was crying and fasting. She didn't, she didn't go to all her neighbors or she didn't go to complaining around about her issue. She was taking an issue before God by fasting and prayer. 
And I want to encourage you, what do you fast about when you fast? Do you fast about your issue? Do you take your issue before God? Are you, are you putting it there? Are you bringing it there? Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. <coughs> what are you doing with your issue? Are you taking it to God? Are you taking it to people? Or are you keeping it inside of you? Are you keeping it and not telling anyone and accepting it? What was Hannah's need? Hannah's need was a child. She needed, she wanted the child. That was her issue. What was God's need? Why did God allow this situation over her? Why did God allow all of these things over her? And just to give you a bit of context, in Judges 17.6, it says, In those days Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. God saw the need of the people. And he sees way in advance and plans way in advance. And he sees what, what, what the people need. And he saw that they need someone who can turn them from their bad ways. Because they were doing whatever they wanted. They were just doing, they didn't have a king, they didn't have a leader, they were just doing whatever. And so God saw that and he put Samuel there. And um, God wanted people to be saved, to have hope, and to live, to be on better ways. God said, I will bring a special person, but not just anyone. For this child, someone will pray. Referring to Hannah. When Hannah understood this, she went to the temple and prayed. Like in verses 9 to 11, she said, God, I don't know if you're going to give me a child, but if you, do, if you are going to give me a child, it's going to be special, for sure. And when you give me a child, I will definitely dedicate to you because you will need him more than I do. And that is the moment when Hannah's prayer met with God's will, and she received an answer. She received this answer from God. And regardless of what situation you're in, God knows who you are. He knows what you do and what you go through. He has a plan. He allowed you to be where you are. He allowed you to be born here or in, the, in this town or in this church. He allowed you to be here in his family. And he allowed some of the things over your life so he can show you that he has a unique plan for your life as well. When God looked at the people and saw the need of the people, he sent Samuel. He said, I need Samuel there. And just like that, God still does this today and in the future he will still do it. He points people for something. And he looks for the times of today in the future and he knows there will be a need there and there. He, does, he, know, he knew there was a need for this church 40 odd years ago. And he knows there's a need for people in a cafe. There's no there's people there. He puts people where there's a need. He appoints people there. In the situation you are, the same way Hannah did, go straight to God with your issue. And not just bring it to him. But Hannah, I love how Hannah prayed with all or nothing. God, I will, I will, if you give me this, I'll give it to you. Otherwise, I'm dying. Or Even though her husband loved her, he, she had everything. She, got, she was cherished. She still had the issue of not, not being able to have children. She wanted a child. She went to fast pray and took her issue to God until God gave her a child. She didn't give up. Maybe sometimes you give up and you say, I prayed once, I prayed two times, I prayed ten times, thousands of times, I prayed for three years, five, ten years straight, and nothing happened. Nothing's, nothing happened. But my encouragement to you is to go before God and pray in such a way that you stand before him until God changes you right there and answers your prayer, because he will answer you. She believed in the power of prayer. Hannah believed in the power of prayer. And even, even more, the Bible says that she prayed with tears, uh, with authority, clear purpose, and faith. 
And God heard her prayer and answered after her heart's desire. Psalm 37, 3 to 5. says, it's a God's promise for us. He says, trust in the Lord and do good. Then you will live safely in the land and prosper. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desire. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him and he will help you. Amen. Yeah? Dear God, we thank you for today, Lord, and we thank you that um, you give us this ability to have the freedom in you, Lord, and to, have, to come too close to you, Lord, and to your heart and listen to your heart, Lord. And I pray that you will help us, each one of us here, Lord, uh, in the next year, in, the, next life, in the, next, the rest of our lives, Lord, that we would follow you and all the issues that come, Lord, we go straight to you, Lord, and we seek your heart. We seek your heart deeply, Lord, because we know that only you, only you can can help us, Lord, and amend us our issues, Lord. And I pray that um, you give us a, a, a conscious, Lord, so that we know who you are, we know who, what you think about us, Lord, and we know what we need to do on this earth and what our will for this earth is, Lord. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Uh, this is God moving because he's been speaking the same word to us all, and... I'd like to thank Timo for his wonderful word to us from God today. And I've come with a testimony, as have many, I believe, today, that God heals today, and he doesn't heal in part, he heals fully. He heals in full, and he heals today. And I know this because he's healed me this week. Last Sunday morning, 22nd April, I prayed in faith in the morning meeting in agreement with God and with my friend Guy standing in agreement in support. You may have seen us. I prayed for full healing and deliverance from a serious medical issue many know about that had been a debilitating thorn in my side, to put it mildly for nearly 40 years, ever since 1980, following a massive nervous breakdown at the age of 22, which I will have to write a book about to explain. In recent, and, and it will come eventually. In recent years, as many know, I've suffered keenly with a complex bereavement More pain than I would wish on my worst enemy. But I knew then in my spirit last Sunday that something major had changed or was about to, shifted, gone, that I had been healed. In the midnight hours of early Thursday morning, only hours after a wonderful, godly and productive house church at Guy's where we really were praying in our own way with real crying out to God. Now this is in the early hours of Thursday, the 26th of April. Precisely seven years, we were crying out about something 
we thought was unrelated. Anyway, it was precisely seven years to the day, but it was the issue, precisely seven years to the day from the day the Lord Jesus came in person, as men, all you will know, especially those who've read Jane's book, when Jesus came in person in 2011, this was seven years to the day, he rescued Jane as she lay dying, so they said, in palliative care. The confirmation I awaited came. God spoke to me in a dream, midway between the sleeping and waking state, and he said to me two things. In 2007, when he restored me to faith, he said one thing, and that blew my mind, and I had to write it down, and it's taken me since then to work it out. This time he said two. First thing he said was this. Don't try to understand, in quotes, don't try too hard to understand the mind of God. Just know that you already have the mind of Christ. Use it. I thought, what? And then he said, don't try to understand the sovereign will of God with human reason. It is enough that he possesses you. Let him move and act. Be still and know that I am God. Now, I didn't write these things. I couldn't. When I came round from half sleep, I wrote all this down. I knew for certain something significant and completely new had occurred, that a deep inner healing and spiritual renewal and filling and all the rest had taken place. There was a, and the, oh, I'll name it, it's gone now. Bipolar had gone. It can't come back. It can't come back. No. I don't say that with pride. It's just what God has done. There, this is medically impossible, by the way. And I will keep, oh, never mind. There was a peace I had never known before. I had been set free. Full shalom. Immediately the following scriptures came to mind. I'll try and talk fast so I don't keep you all late for your dinner. Immediately, personality hasn't changed at all, by the way. Immediately the following scriptures came to mind. Only now I'll be louder. So for now I will focus on these. 1 Corinthians 2, 14 to 16. But the natural man, as I was, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolish to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And the other verse is this. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but as Timo said in his sermon today, for the will of God. God is good. He calls us to rest in him alone and to live in him and for his glory, not to try to do anything, but to watch him move. In time, we will notice that how we think and act changes as we trust solely in him to live in and through us, no longer trusting in ourselves 
and in what we think we can do for him. For God does not share his glory with anyone. Salvation is indeed all of God and all of grace. In my daily devotional this week, I came across these words. They resonate with my spirit, and I know they are true and of God. I come to you who are fearful and anxious with a message. God does not ask you to perfectly surrender in your own strength or by the power of your will. God is willing to work it in you. Don't we read in Philippians 2.13 that it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. That is why we come together to get on our faces before God until our hearts believe that the everlasting God himself will come in to turn out what is wrong, to conquer what is evil, and to work what is well-pleasing in his blessed sight. God himself will work it in you. Look at the men in the Old Testament like Abraham, as John has been helping us to learn about. Do you think it was by accident that God found that man, the father of the faithful and the friend of God, and that it was perhaps Abraham himself, apart from God, who had such amazing faith and obedience and devotion. You know that's nonsense. Oh, no, that's my words, actually. God raised him up and prepared him as an instrument for his glory. God said to Pharaoh, I have placed thee to declare my power in thee, Exodus 9:16. If God said that of Pharaoh, won't he say it far more of every child of his? I want to encourage you and I want you to cast away every fear. Come with that feeble desire. If there is fear, if you say, my desire is not enough, I am willing. For everything that may come, I do not feel bold enough to say that I can conquer everything. Then I implore you, Learn to know and trust your God entirely. Say, my God, I am willing that you would make me willing. If there is anything holding you back or any sacrifice you're afraid of making, come to God at once and prove how gracious he is. Do not be afraid that he will ask from you what he will not first give to you. God comes and offers to work this absolute surrender in you. All these searchings and hungerings and longings that are in your heart are the attraction of the divine magnet, our Lord Jesus Christ. He lived a life of absolute surrender. If you trust in him, he has possession of you. Give your life to the Lord Jesus he will live in your heart by his Holy Spirit. Ephesians 3.17, my favorite verse in Scripture. We have hindered him and hindered him greatly, but he has brought us here to be humbled and to wait upon him so that we might be helped to submit to him entirely. He comes and draws us now by his message and words. Won't you come and trust God to work in you, that absolute surrender to himself. Yes, blessed be God. 
He can do it and he will do it. Isn't, and then, uh, then this made me think, isn't it incredible how loving and how patient God is with us? Not because of who we are or what we've done or ever could do, but because of who he is. He, how gently he leads us. Not sternly by the nose, like a cruel taskmaster, but often unobtrusively and on a long leash, free at times to mess up and make mistakes. And I made many, like a small child or a wayward puppy. A lot of the time we may think, who knows where I'm going? Others may wonder too, but not God. No, he leads us gently by the hand from conception to the grave, from infancy to old age. For he is our loving father, our good shepherd. He leads us on from storm to still water. He cares for us. He lives in us if we trust in us. He moves in us and is our being if we will but give our lives to him and trust in him for all our needs. How kind he is, how wonderful our God is. These are important days to be alive. God is moving in this place, in our hearts, in our lives, and in his church, and in this, in this church, which is his, belongs to his church. Thank you, Guy, for standing with me in prayer. Hallelujah. God be praised. Christ has the victory. We are overcomers by the blood of the Lamb. Amen. Thank you, Alan. Thank you.